Alright, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got the NIA boys here, ready ready to go today. It's going to be a tight hour. We've got Trung Fan, me, Master Flex himself, and we've got Jack... I almost said Jack Dorsey, because we're going to talk Jack Dorsey. <laughs> Jack Butcher. It would be great if we had, did have Jack Dorsey for this episode. Next week, we'll get him next week. Le- next week, yeah, because this is going to be the Jack Dorsey episode slash love fest slash whatever else we want to call it. Um, and as always, I'm Bilal Zaidi. But boys, let's kick it off. We're going to talk about what's going on with Jack Dorsey. He's leaving Twitter or he's left Twitter um, and uh, what he's going to be doing now with Square and Block. And we're also going to talk about Adidas in the metaverse and their collaboration with Bored Ape and others. So uh, let's get straight into it, boys. What the hell is going on? Jack Dorsey, we've been talking about on the pod. He's got this 4D chess and it seems to be coming to fruition. So what 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 do you guys reckon? We've thrown it out there that Square and Twitter are going to combine. And so the conspiracy theories are out that if Jack wanted to make it happen and get it by regulators and and, and, and get rid of the conflict of interest angle, he, he quietly left Twitter. Not quietly, loudly <laughs> left Twitter. He's like, I'm out, guys. I'm out. But Square, which is a $95 billion company, Twitter is about a $30 billion company, a couple of years... I think it's happening, boys. Jack, let's go to you, buddy. Is it happening? Is Square go? Is Block now? Square is called Block. Is Block going to acquire Twitter in a couple of years? You know what I think. Uh, we'll start with the like absolute out there theories. <laughs> okay. So I think that's the best way to start, God. I think maybe it's an Ethereum competitor long term, like build on Bitcoin. Why Tidal is involved in this whole mashup is like the cultural component and the, you know, Jay Z's involved, the idea of um, marrying up those two things and Cash App. We've talked a little bit about that uh, maybe 10 episodes ago. How interwoven cash app is with real culture not like fringe nerd culture like that's like real pop culture yeah so i think the 10d chess play is like trying to integrate all of these things together to create this kind of maybe you could call it an ethereum competitor but maybe it's a a layer on top and and bitcoin is going to be the settlement layer obviously because of what jack believes in i think um but that's my uh, like out there prediction that it's going to be, um, you know, trying to bring all those things together to compete with what Ethereum is currently doing in culture and computing. And really, that is yeah, I, that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't heard that take. Wait, Jack, is this is this something that's floating around uh, Web three uh, Twitter? Is this I haven't I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Maybe I've did you just come up with it right now? <laughs> that's my that's my. I'm going to put my stake in the ground and say I came up with it. But please feel free to disprove me okay. in the comments if you've seen it somewhere else. Jack Kramer, for uh, those that have been listening and seeing Jack Butcher's calls, we've been calling him Jack Kramer in our private chats. Uh, like Jim Kramer, the CNBC uh, analyst and kind of the biggest face of CNBC, which actually hasn't been making a lot of good calls lately. <laughs> But Jack Kramer slash Jack Butcher, Ethereum competitor is what Block is going to be. I really like that. Bilal, thoughts? So, well, yeah, I mean, this isn't my theory, but another theory which is really out there is something along the lines of, well, I've just seen tweets on this, right, which is basically people are saying uh, 
Jack wants to create like let Twitter be like a Web3 decentralized version, but he wouldn't be able to do that himself through being there at Twitter. And basically, this is a long way around of doing something like this. So maybe that's similar to what Jack's saying to a certain extent, because maybe Twitter would just be one of those right. layers, right? Like the social media part of Web3, the decentralized version, which nowadays is only a few small players like DSO which was, you know, what powered BitClout and stuff like that we talked about in episode one or two. Well, you, so uh, that's yeah, a good go that's a good point. Sorry to sorry to interrupt. No, but the idea of like BitClout tried to get like f pop culture figures to launch it, right? They tried to use them as like the um to create the network effect for people who use BitCloud, but guess what? The only people that used it were like VCs and friends of the people who invested in the first round of this thing yeah it never got like the huge cultural players to be involved so i think title uh is a plug into all of that too like cultural network effect title has that built in i think title will expand beyond music too right like monetizing content influence media all of these things like title i think represents like even if you listen to jay-z's music it's kind of the same ethos of like ownership of the things you create monetization investing um and creating access there are other startups i know that jay-z's invested in that are focused on either helping people i think there's one um a property startup like a rent to own and then i know there's um like investing platforms that, that jay-z's invested in so i think this all comes together and i imagine i think it was published a few months ago he said he's been hanging out with jack dorsey and talking about yeah. like massive <laughs> ideas yeah and i think this is going to be it i think that's like they have like tech and culture like that's a pretty strong um alliance to make that happen if you thought about like two individuals that have those capabilities on either side i think i'd struggle to come up with a good um a pair as as strong as that so that's my thesis we'll see how it plays out well, well yeah, while you're gone sorry but i just want to say well you're well jack was talking here it brought up the first thing that came to my mind is actually so the title obviously has been quite mocked right it like it never took off like spotify or apple music um and it's kind of a bit player it had a big launch but didn't really take off however everything you're describing now Let's say we look back in 10 years. If, if, if your prediction of block comes to fruition, let's, let's say block becomes a 500 billion or trillion dollar, basically equivalent to what Ethereum is right now, and it'll grow 10x from today, right? Maybe we'll look back at this title acquisition, maybe not like uh, Facebook, Instagram, which was you know pretty clear what was going on there, like taking out a competitor that was taking attention away or, or YouTube and Google, right? like where Bilal used to work, that has turned out to be just an insane acquisition. So those two are considered the top acquisitions in the tech space uh, ever. Um, both $100 billion assets now, Instagram and YouTube. Uh, the other one, but I think this title one could be a sneaky one. And uh, the ones that came up to mind were when Disney acquired a BAM tech, which was the streaming technology for the MLB. And that basically helped them launch Disney Plus uh, in like two years. So that was a little bit under the radar acquisition that wasn't as splashy as like, you know, their Marvel or uh, Star Wars acquisitions. But in the long run, you might look back there, you know, that one is what unlocked everything, right? Uh, 
And then the other unlock was uh, that we talked about briefly was uh, when Apple acquired PA Semi in 2008. A lot of people don't know about it, but that was a $250 million acquisition that basically started Apple down the road of creating its own chip. So is Tidal, is this $300 million Tidal acquisition the unlock for like Web3, crypto, everything that we've all been discussing for the last 30 episodes, but for Block and Jack Dorsey and Jay-Z, is that the unlock? I think yeah. that's what we might look back. Yeah, see. I think so. I think that's a great, uh, a great way to frame it up. And I think you could retroactively say Tidal failed because those ideas were not brought into focus in the same way that they have being now right i think all this exploration of like that's true incentives and contracts and ownership is like really in the spotlight now 10 years later i don't know when title came out originally but it's got to be coming on a decade at this point where if you allow the spotify thesis to play out for 10 years it's like like they released their numbers recently i know chris dixon did a um like wrote wrote about this on Twitter about like, you know, sub 1% of Spotify artists make more than 50 grand a year or something uh, wild. And obviously the impetus for Tidal in the beginning was we want to own our masters. We want to capture the majority of the upside that we've obviously created. Like we're big enough to have the distribution and we can pull people we can pull people to listen based on the amount of network effect we have, especially if there's like a coalition of artists, like the amount of people that will follow them wherever they go. It didn't work with Tidal because a lot of them, I think there was not that many exclusive agreements. So obviously the behavior, keeping people on platforms where they could, it was, you have to make a philosophical decision rather than a convenience decision. And I think maybe like, um, there's a whole bunch of factors like, money as a network and financial incentive and um uh the idea of like jack dorsey's like consumer ui experience like cash app is an incredible product so easy yeah. to use um like bringing a lot of the stuff that he's accomplished into this like mesh of culture money music uh a social network i don't know if I don't know how it's framed, whether or not they're saying we're going to build a new social network. But to me, that that has to be a component of this for it to succeed. Like the only reason this Ethereum and NFT ecosystem has like exploded over the last six months, 12 months is a combination of Twitter and Discord, like meshing all the narratives right. together. Yeah, completely. Uh, and just uh, to add for people wondering, you, you mentioned when Tidal has been around since and it's, uh, they started in 2014, apparently, and Jay-Z bought them in 2015. So you're right. It's been like seven, I guess, six, yeah, seven good years. Of time. Yeah, yeah. I've never opened the Tidal app. I have. I don't know a single person that uses it. Do you, have you guys ever used I, it? I haven't, but I feel like Jack, maybe you have. I know what I've, I used it when it first came out because I was like in that like digital platform design world so it was like a research exercise and there was some music i think jay-z's music was exclusively available on oh yeah that's right title for there were a, while, a few so. albums i think even kanye or beyonce or someone did some stuff yeah there was a few drops so i paid a few months just to get access to stuff that was only available there but then you know um spotify uh, some people went back to spotify and i think even jay-z's music is back on spotify now right maybe yeah i think definitely. it is um Cash app, if you think about that as access to investing, maybe the like 
high level concept is investing in artists and network effects. And like a bit clout has this abstract layer away from what someone produces, but maybe there's a way they integrate media finance. And oh, here's what I was going to say. The Jay-Z CryptoPunk, how long ago was that? Two, oh, three months right. ago? A few months ago, yeah. So there's a signal there of like, yeah. something was he's going obviously on in the getting his head around like non-fungible tokens, digital ownership. Uh, and I think a lot of people thought that was going to be just a stunt, like, oh, we're going to do an NFT drop on Ethereum. So I'm part of the community, come buy my stuff. Uh, but I think it's it probably runs a lot deeper than that. And Jay-Z is not... Um, I don't think he's thinking, he's not playing short-term games as is evident by his career. So uh, yeah, I think we'll see an element of that digital ownership and investing and community in this venture that they're putting together. You know, I want to drop a quick word as a recipes, Virgil Abloh, uh, man, founder of uh, Off-White, uh, because the reason I brought it up is because I don't know if you guys saw about Fred Ersam, uh, Coinbase found, co-founder, dropped uh, the like a document he'd been working with Virgil on. On a mentioned. Yeah, on a doubt, like, right? I've got on it. Like I've a, saved it in our doc for us to talk about at some point. No, it's, yeah, we, we will we briefly touch on it. Bilal, could you kind of mention? No, what, I don't what, even know fully, but I just saw him post um, th- this document and basically said, you guys don't realize like how much he was actually planning in this world as well. Right. And like he was playing these longer term games. And and I would love to chat about Virgil. Maybe Maybe we'll get to it today, but... Yeah, man. Really sad. That news is really, really sad. You know what? Let, you know, you're right. Let's stick that for where we can actually digest that document okay. and kind of go through it. But uh, the only reason I brought it up is because when uh, Jack was mentioning the whole Jay-Z mindset, uh, like wrapping his head around it, you could like that's what Virgil was doing, right? Like he was wrapping his mind around what was going on. He had been involved in music and fashion and culture. And like he clearly knew the implications. And I mean, it's crazy that, uh, you know, Fred had that document and they're open to sharing it. And obviously, you know, very emotional time for you know the people involved but uh yeah if we have a chance to digest it we'd love to we'd love to talk the high points yeah i was just going to add if also in the telegram group and probably on twitter people have seen over the last six months specifically with board ape yacht club but like the wider nft group uh the wider nft space sorry um there's been so many musicians like prominent musicians like heavy hitters in like as jack's describing culture and not just basically tech geeks right like mm-hmm. i love tech geeks but i'm talking about like people <laughs> like jay-z people that are gonna you know i hate to think like this but in my head i'm drawing a graph of like the <laughs> kind of phases you know like an idea spreads is like you know the early group like what a future what yeah, a future puts it exactly, in his profile exactly yeah <laughs> exactly when future puts it in profile we're no longer at the vc nerd stage that's what i'm saying <laughs> so which is a good thing um and yeah, I mean, just to zoom out a bit, because I think there's two, there's two parts to this. There's the first part, which is Jack Dorsey leaving Twitter. And then the second is Square becoming block and rolling up all of these different properties and yeah. the potential for that future. Before we go, because I think we've already kind of jumped to some of the, the Square stuff, obviously it's related. But like for, a question I have for you guys is on him leaving Twitter first, so we can kind of close that chapter off. Yeah. What does that look like? Because uh, I was reading through some of the numbers and... You know, like we love Twitter, we all use it every day, and uh, we might sometimes forget that you know it's it's actually quite a small platform in terms of users compared to yeah. um, you know Facebook, Instagram, even even Snap, TikTok, etc. And uh, some of the numbers, just to call out, last quarter uh, Twitter's revenue was 1.3 billion dollars, which is only 4.4 percent of Facebook's 29 
billion dollars yeah, in revenue. It's crazy, dude. Um, and also, you know, the new guy who is the CEO now, Parag uh, Agrawal. Agrawal, yeah. Um, he, I think he was a CTO before, right? He yeah, was a, he's a he's a tech guy. He's a technical dude. So they didn't bring in like an. So uh, uh, yeah, let me. Great, yeah. I, I freaking love that you asked that. We didn't lose that thread. But I actually, had a question for you, Bilal, uh, which I want to because you're in digital advertising. Uh, so. So first thing about uh, the new C- CEO is interesting, right? Because if you look at all the other big tech companies, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, Google, um, who are the other ones? Well, uh, Apple, they Facebook, all brought yeah. MBAs. All, they all got replaced by MBAs. So um, Satya is an MBA. Uh, Sundar's an MBA. But, uh, and Tim Sundar's Cook is also an technical though, right? So he's both. Right, right. Was, he's both. He's both. Yeah. They're actually, the, I mean, to be honest, all of them are kind of technical, right? They just also yeah. have the MBA aspect. Uh, but yeah, so the new uh, Twitter CEO is not an MBA. Uh, he was an engineer, started at Twitter as an engineer, 10 years. He's 37 years old now. Like it's Incredible. insane. Like, he's, yeah. he's only one year older than me. and uh, But he's very close to Jack and... He actually was, uh, 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 Jack mentioned it, uh, decentralized protocol. He was leading that thing. So like he was leading the decentralized protocol project for Twitter called Blue Sky. But uh, what I wanted to ask Bilal was this. So you mentioned the revenue numbers, right? So dude, can you walk through when you're an advertiser, you have a client and you're like, hey, listen, we want you to put a million dollars onto various digital platforms. Does Twitter even come up in like your analysis? Or are you just like, yeah, let's throw it on IG. Let's throw it on uh, Facebook. Let's throw it on YouTube. Cause like, can you explain like how Twitter is largely a brand platform? They've never figured out, uh, you know, uh, was it called uh, direct response? Yeah. If they haven't done that's a great response, point. Can you, can you walk through that? Yeah. So just a, a stat to back that up 85% of Twitter's ad revenue comes from brand advertising. Apparently. Uh, I read that in Ben Thompson. So I don't know if that's 100% true, but because, you know, sometimes when you create ads, you can argue, is this a brand ad or a, or a um, direct response ad? But from my experience, that is the case. Because if you think about what Twitter is really good for in terms of advertising, it's real time, it's engagement, it's, it's reach to a certain extent and getting beyond kind of like the people who just follow you, right? So that if you're Budweiser and it's a Super Bowl, like it's a great platform to engage or the Grammys are going on and you want to like have that conversation. Um, but yeah, the short answer to what you said is no, I, I rarely would recommend them <laughs> early on because, you know, the, if you do like an 80, 20 analysis of you've got limited resources and budget, where do you start? You always start with the two dominant platforms, which are Google and Facebook. And obviously Facebook includes Instagram. Um, and the main reason for that is just they've got the biggest reach. They've got a best targeting. And between the two, you can kind of cover off all your bases. Google also has YouTube as well. So, um, so I, I always put that kind of in the 80%. And then if they've, if they're quite advanced and we figure out a bunch of other stuff that's, they kind of like tapping out, then you're looking at other platforms like Twitter, even LinkedIn for some people like B2B clients, uh, B2B brands actually make sense sometimes. So, um, but yeah, the, the reason I think they're struggling, a lot of my old, team went to twitter right and like they really yeah i mean my old boss and his boss and his boss's boss became the head of like ads at or the head of sales at twitter and they all kind of rolled up into that pre-ipo 
trying to get that pre-IPO money, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> and so I kind of like, I mean, at one point they kind of asked me to go over there as well before the IPO. And I was like, I didn't really believe in the, the ads properly. The only real reason to go was because, you know, I do like the platform, but it was to get pre-IPO money. And uh, it just wasn't <laughs> at my level. It wasn't going to be like, you know, it would be, I probably would have made some money, but not like hundreds of millions of dollars or something crazy like that. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this doesn't make sense for me. Um, but just, I remember speaking to them and their pitch was exactly that, right? Like this is the vision of, you know, all this untapped potential and brand advertising. We can make the most of that. And I think that thesis was correct, but the execution wasn't necessarily, you know, bulletproof. And it just, it hasn't really hit the, the kind of like level it needs to hit where people say, oh, that's actually really working for me that I'm going to put my digital budgets into yeah. that. Well, um, I just want yeah. to say, because Twitter is an interest graph, right? Like you, whereas Facebook is a truly a social graph. It's based around, uh, originally based around your friendships, uh, families, mm. but like Twitter is around your interests, the things you're interested in, you're selecting. So like from a brand perspective, it makes so much sense, right? It's just like, just haven't been able to crack it. It's just like, yeah. it, it's just very difficult. No, you, that's a good distinction. And the th truth is though, they, t I've said this before on the show, but Twitter should be the best interest-based advertising, but Google and Facebook actually have their own interest. I mean, basically what you target on Facebook is interest-based targeting as well, because they're no longer saying, hey, target all the people who follow these people. It's really target people who are into cars, target people into in-market for baby food. And they get all of that data from our browsing behavior. So the thing is, Twitter doesn't necessarily have that same footprint across the internet, whereas Google has Google Analytics, YouTube, and seven properties that have a billion users. And so does Facebook. So between all of those user behavior signals, they can create their own interest-based targeting. Uh, and that's, true. And that's, so that's why I think they're probably beating out Twitter in this case. And then I think Twitter's big problem has been growing the user base beyond, you know, they don't even really report on it properly anymore. Like it's not front and center like it used to be. I well, read I a, mean, um, go ahead, Jack. Sorry, I read a statistic maybe last week. This was more about the like distortion of public opinion based on what you read on Twitter. So I think 7% of Americans have a Twitter account and then 52% of that 7% have never tweeted. Oh, and then that's incredible. Of the remaining, <laughs> of the remaining 48%, there'll be like a power law in there, right? Where it's like 1% yeah. of the 48% <laughs> is producing the content. Just banging out threads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's crazy. I think if you, if you have 10,000 followers on Twitter, you're in like the 0.1%, which makes sense. Well, well, Jack, you've talked about it and I totally agree. The, the outsized the impact, global impact of Twitter. Twitter is probably... I mean, Ben Thompson, the, the tech writer we talk about often, he's like, it probably is on scale with Facebook of how it impacts the world. It's because even, even though it is only whatever, two, 300 million daily after user, whatever metric they're using now. And I think Jack actually brought this up when we were talking about meta is like, you know, one of the reasons meta name change kind of makes sense is like the meme of Facebook has run its course. If you've gone to this point and you're not on Facebook, like you're just never going to be on it, right? But like Twitter is like, they've been around just as long. 
if you're really not on Twitter at this point, the odds are you're not going to become a massive user of it, right? Like they have, they've been around, they've had mindshare and they've been exposed to three, four, five billion people uh, just because of how viral the platform is and the way it connects to the world. But at the end of the day, they only capture 10% of that. That just might be, it's like max, like that's just the maximum for the company, right? But it's kind of like what Jack said before, like with people like Jay-Z and combining it with my annoying graph in my head right like that is the same thing what you're describing right like the 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 cultural especially from the tech side obviously and there's like three four big segments yeah there's like you know there's like the fintech and the fintwit stuff there's the tech vc world there's like black twitter which is like really popular and deep and there's like three four other big kind of groups um and so I, i guess the question is before we wrap up the twitter part is like, how confident are you in this new dude? Uh, another uh, a great example of brown excellence making it to the top uh, <laughs> of uh, corporate America, Parag Agarwal. Um, how confident are you guys in in them making it work? Before we move, you know, to finish off okay. the square conversation after. Well, look, look, so I'll, I'll play the Scott Galloway, Professor Galloway <laughs> card because he's written extensively <laughs> about Jack Dorsey at Twitter and Jack Dorsey at Square. He used to be a huge Twitter shareholder. I think he had like two, three hundred million in Twitter uh, a stock, but um, maybe that's a lot. But but fifty in the in the I think it was in, in the tens of millions yeah, for sure. Because I remember yeah. working you remember out that, once. Right? Yeah, he posted um, that he owned X amount of shares. I was like, what? That's yeah, kind of that's a lot. A like, lot where'd that dude. come from? Yeah. No, yeah. but so his so his whole thing has always been. He, he's like they have to do subscriptions, right? Is like and a lot of uh, and our, our buddy Jack, uh, Packy McCormick also gave his perspective on subscription. He gave a different thing, but it's like all right, the ad revenue hasn't really taken off ad model. So, you know, let's go to subscription model. And this is their argument. I buy into it. He's like, I don't know if I buy in exact mechanics, but I buy into the fact that if you're a massive account on Twitter, you will pay. We've talked on this podcast. It's like, Jack Butcher, how much would you be willing to pay to keep your Twitter accounts, right? It's like, and so Professor Galloway is like, uh, uh, you know, rough hand. He's like, zero to 100,000 users, free. 100,000 to a million, you pay $100 a month. Uh, a million to 10 million, you pay $1,000 a month, right? So a guy like Elon, for example, would probably have to pay something like on this scale, $10,000 a month, right? Uh, totally worth it for him. It's a no-brainer. And then you look at all the big corporations like Wendy's. How much would Wendy's pay to run its account, right? Uh, so that was one perspective. Um, it's kind of like MailChimp or one of the email providers. Exactly, model, right? right. Like the email, when you look at signing up for an email provider, you're like, why is this so expensive compared to, you're normally used to like $10, $20 SaaS monthly fees. And you go into MailChimp and you're like, why is this $252? It's crazy. So anyway, back to what you're saying. So that's one, one yeah, take. Yeah, so that's the argument. Uh, I think Packy's take was he thinks that's the wrong way to charge it. I think you have to just do like kind of a flat, for powers, like kind of what they're doing with the Twitter blue right now, but then you really supercharge the functionality, right? Like if they just honestly just put an edit button into the Twitter blue subscription. So right now I'm paying $2.99 a month. I don't use any of their features to be honest. The actually one feature that I do like is that uh, they show the articles that everyone's reading. So that gives you a quick way to catch up on things. And then they let you undo tweets, but that's not the same as edit. I'd pay $10 a month just to edit tweets, right? Uh, I don't know how, uh, if that's on the roadmap, but that's the other way is like, don't charge on the power users. Like just give like a premium option that people are willing to pay for, which they're starting to do. 
But uh, yeah, I, the reason I bring that up is that those are the kind of the models that they're saying that could make you know Twitter and really extract value from people that love the platform and that have that get so much value from it. I get so much value from it. I pay them nothing. I give them three dollars a month. It's like charity. Yeah, I guess the the other thing to bring up is, you know, on Twitter you have text, video, and images. Um, you know, and and it's quite funny because like Instagram and um, TikTok are obviously visual first. You know, first with photos on Instagram, now videos. TikTok has basically always been you know vertical video. And the funny thing is, like on TikTok, a lot of the popular stuff that isn't just kids dancing or people dancing. Um, is like people putting text on the videos, right? Like they're pointing and they're doing a dance at the same time. So you're kind of laughing, but you're like reading how to get like crypto yield or whatever, right? So it's kind of funny uh, way it works. Um, and just from our experience using Twitter, obviously Twitter is has those other things, but we all know Twitter really kind of like punishes you in the algorithm oh. for something that isn't just pure text. Anything with links doesn't reach as many people. Uh, images can sometimes work okay-ish, but you know, uh, Twitter is designed for text. And the people on there, and I, I like the way Ben Thompson actually described this, it's like a lean-in concentration mode thing when you're reading Twitter. Whereas yeah. Instagram, TikTok, you're scanning through, you're looking at a cool picture of a, vi of a car and whatever. And it's just a very different ex uh, experience. And that lends itself to that type of advertising, which is direct response which right. is, oh, I'm browsing, oh, I see a cool backpack and I'm already in browsing mode. Let me click through one click. Let me purchase something. And that's why uh, coupled with their, um, you know, superior targeting makes Instagram a superior platform for ads at the moment. So, um, yeah, but that was the only thing I wanted to add. Jack, what, what did you have in mind, mate? I was, um, this is a, like a wild idea, but... Like, uh, that's a great that's a great today. <laughs> yeah, so i was exactly. i was i was thinking about um open seas revenue model it's like what i think is interesting about how they try to monetize with like super follows and all of the like things of that nature it's like you start to rack that up and you're like i'm paying five dollars a month to follow a hundred accounts i'm paying 500 i'm paying 500 dollars a month here yeah versus like the open sea model was like a market for content and they take mm. two and a half percent. So the idea that if you follow some of these trends to their logical conclusion, it's like everything becomes a market or a casino or a, like you have ability to bet on things. There might be a few, like, or maybe that's like, um, bit cloud, I think did it inelegantly with the, like you have to, commit a certain amount of money to a certain profile versus like there are digital assets changing hands or people are like investing in different people and there's a, a fee being cut as a result of that. I think the the social graphs are so big that paying individually is kind of a crazy thing. And I think there's probably quite a low ceiling on how much people are going to opt into that. I also think the tipping thing just doesn't work. I don't know. Um, I think only place I've seen it work is like Twitch. I don't know the numbers, but it seems like Twitch. There's more of a yeah, culture. Twitch of kills giving it. Like yeah, that. like but, the, I th but that's they, a different like, uh, medium. There's like part of the Twitch culture is like you. If you do it, they shout you out, or so, there's some like transaction yeah. happening like there. Behavior like part of the culture. It. Yeah, it's just it feels like um, 
I agree with everything everyone has said. Like ads don't feel right on Twitter because they just kind of come in and interrupt. And if you have a good social person, like your organic, the amount of money it would pl- cost you to place media on Twitter, you could probably pay, you know, five really good writers to just run your organic social yeah. and the algorithm is going to reward you for that. You're seeing it with like Wendy's and there's a few like standout brands that do a great job on Twitter specifically. But I think the, um, yeah, maybe the, you'd have to burn it down and start again. But if you think about the volume that OpenSea does with a tiny fraction of the users of Twitter, you also Being have to imagine that 90% of Twitter users would reject that model and hate uh, everything that goes along with it. But just a thought experiment. No, this yeah. is good. It's thought experiment day for Jack. That means we got one more coming. So <laughs> just to summarize, Jack thinks Square might be Ethereum 2.0 and he thinks Twitter <laughs> might be OpenSea 2.0. <laughs> yeah. Well not, well, not Twitter. Maybe, um, well, I don't know. Actually, I have to read up more on this on this guy. Like the, I feel like some two of the views that I've read contradict each other. Like the decentralized Twitter and then I read a quote from him about like censoring certain content. And then yesterday they announced a policy where you can't post an image of somebody, a private individual without their consent. That doesn't really feel very decent. No, I think what he's saying is that uh, the the, the protocol will allow for people to spin up their own social networks and they each have their own censorship policies. That way, if you're going to do like, instead of having parlor, like which was the uh, basic quote unquote right wing version of Twitter that came up after Trump was banned. It's like, okay, just spin it up on a protocol. It won't touch Twitter, right? It won't touch the Bluebird app. And all the people that want to do that thing, you guys do that. You do whatever you want over there. On Twitter, we're going to do uh, a, a content moderation that we want it the way we're going to do it. And you're welcome to be here if you want to. I think that's the level they're going to do the choice. Having said that, in just the fact that they are Twitter and the people are going to congregate there, right? And it is a bit concerning the way they've structured this language. Although somebody brought up a great point is like that, uh, that, that restriction they had, basically a private individual can ask for something to be taken down. And the way there's two points here that was difficult. The first point was that Twitter gets to determine what's newsworthy. So they get to tell you that, hey, you're not actually a private citizen, right? If LeBron James is like, hey, take this image down, they're like, actually, you're a newsworthy individual. You've kind of chosen clearly to be in the public spotlight. We're going to let that stand. So the question is like, who defines quote unquote newsworthy? Uh, And then the other part of it was actually this exact thing is already happening in Europe. The GDPR forced it on Twitter. And it actually hasn't caused that much of a uh, you know, a big situation because in Europe, they have the right to be forgotten. Right. And Bilal, you probably know this in Europe, you can call up Google or work your way up to the court system. Be like, yeah, hey, listen, Google, take me. Like, I don't want to be found on the internet. The That's right why to you be see forgotten. on Google maps when you go on some places and it's just a complete empty square. <laughs> and it's like, what is this a black hole in the middle of Essex right, right now? What's going <laughs> right to be forgotten. Um, exactly. But uh, um, no, that's great. I think, yeah, unless you guys have any other thoughts on Twitter. I'm, I'm no, I think we can out. move on. The last question I was going to ask, just a, a quick, you know, 10-second uh, response is, are you bullish or bearish on the future of Twitter based on Jack Dorsey stepping down and our guy Parag Agarwal uh, taking over? For the next, let's like, say, 10 years from now, bullish or bearish? Okay, so this is, this is the trade-off. You're losing the founder energy. I think Twitter was the thing that needed a founder energy just because of how different, like what Zuck did with Facebook and Meta, right? Like you just need someone like that. And like, I own Twitter. I own 
quite mm. a, like for myself. It's like a surprisingly big part of my portfolio, unfortunately. And uh, I was betting just on the Square Twitter eventual mm. merger. <laughs> so, it's a great question because you actually have to make decisions. Not investment advice. I honestly <laughs> might just dump, to be honest, and buy more Bitcoin. But uh, yeah. uh, what, okay. so here's a trade-off. To give my final answer yeah. is this. is like, is 100% focused Parag better than a 10% focused Jack? Because mm. we're going to talk about it shortly, how unfocused and checked out Jack was at Twitter. And that's uh, so that's the trade-off. I'm going to okay. say it's a wash. It's a wash. I don't okay. think it matters. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Jack, you got an opinion on that? There'll be a decentralized challenger to Twitter in the next couple of years that might. There we go. There's number it. three. That's mine. <laughs> number three. There we go. Well, okay, I think that's beautiful. a fair. I think that's a great point. Okay, great. Yeah, that great way to wrap it up, boys. I think that was a really good. Uh, yeah, I think Twitter's really well covered there, and um, definitely interesting. Watch this space. So uh, to get back to what we started talking about already, but just to wrap that part up on Square. So Square has now become block uh their twitter has got s at the end so i wasn't sure if i was messing around there but no there's um, a joke running singular, around right? the guy that owns the at block handle is like a it's like a dead account it's a running joke we, oh, we should post hilarious. it for the youtube video but, but, it's, like, <laughs> it's like a picture of like nothing and the, and no the joke is that like how could jack dorsey not get at if block? you if you feel bad about not getting your name on twitter there you go yeah. that's hilarious they took at value from me Remember? Oh, that's true, right? I mean, and and they definitely took at blocks from someone. Like, there's yeah. no way that was sitting dormant. So <laughs> they broke their own policy on that one because you can't pay for a name or like you can't transfer a name that's in their terms of service. That's what I keep getting back from my uh, appeals. Yeah. Here's the block account, by the way, for people watching on YouTube. For <laughs> That oh, is terrible. No, said, so Square followers. is becoming block or block is an entity that's like... It, coordinating between all of these other businesses no it sounds like a holding company yeah holding like company alphabet. the same way alphabet meta it's like the overarching one and then Got within it. block there is square cash app tidal tbd five four five six six seven nine five whatever the hell that yeah, is that's the, bitcoin that's in their, the bio right yeah yeah the, no, the tbc thing is there uh is there crypto play i think this is that's like the one Jack's ethereum thing let me i wanted to talk about Square actually does what they're doing. So if you guys Just, can, yeah, that was the next part. So go for me. it. Um, so two parts that we mentioned, right? So I want to talk about super high level MBA Square. What is Square? So Square started out as a merchant dongle, right? So the 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 founding story and Bilal, Bilal interviewed the co-founder. Is is this right? Of yeah, Jim McKelvey. Yeah, he's okay. the guy who made the dongle that goes into the. Okay, iPod. so Bilal, why don't you? <laughs> Blah, yeah, why did you tell the founding story? Yeah, the, yeah the, the, the short version is he was an artist. He used to make like blow, like glass. some sort of artist. Yeah, glass blowing or something like that. Uh, he also <laughs> had a bunch of companies in the past and Jack Dorsey was actually an intern at one of his previous companies. And then fast forward in the future, he's trying to sell a piece of artwork. Someone says, hey, can I pay with a credit card? And he can't accept the credit card. And there's the light bulb and he says, why can't I accept this? And he starts digging this in, digging into it and realizes that it's really expensive for someone like him, an artist, a taco sh truck guy, a coffee shop to be able to accept um, credit card payments. 
And he basically invented this device, that kind of white dongle you've probably seen. Yeah. If you're in the US, you've definitely seen it around the world. They don't have it everywhere. But it just plugs into the iP uh, iPhone or iPad and you can swipe uh, a credit card and it processes it securely. And I forgot the exact number, but it's maybe like 10, 15 times cheaper for that yeah. smaller merchant, the way the pricing normally worked anyway. Um, to be up So it makes it feasible for them to use credit cards. So that's kind of the short version of it. Well, I'll, I mean, Bilal, you nailed it. And I, I just want to put a number on the business opportunity that Jack and was Jim was his name? Jim McKilvey, yeah. Yeah, that Jim identified. So 30 million small businesses in the US with sales of less than $100,000. So they can't handle the credit card fees, right? Like those will just eat into them and crush them. So 80% of those businesses didn't process credit cards. That was the opportunity. 24 million small businesses. So they create this dongle around 2009. So this is on the merchant side. They are helping the seller, the taco trucks, the glass blowers. <laughs> what the yeah. fuck is glass blowing? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's hilarious. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, so, the small merchants, small merchants. Yeah, the small merchants. The Vietnamese banh mi shop, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure there's a couple of those that use the dongle. So they're helping merchants and they're making it easier. And their strategy is this. They'll give something for free, which is the dongle or very nominal cost, right? And what they do is they try to build as many, uh, get as many of those uh, merchants into their network as possible. And then they start, the way they're monetizing is they start adding these features on top, right? They add payroll, invoices, uh, a square card, developer tools. So like they bring people in with a very cheap and easy to use kind of like uh, a wedge. And then they start piling on all these different tools and then you know they start taking rips of everything it's so the classic where, tech playbook right like exactly the, your margin is my opportunity or whatever the phrase so is. so wedge in start adding things on top and then cash app which jack talked about is the exact same play on the consumer side so square actually tried to make a closed network because right now square is on kind of the visa mastercard like credit card rails right they're paying uh, like they'll get 3% of a transaction, whatever it is, but they're paying almost more than half of it out to the existing rails. So this is the beauty about what's happening with Cash App and the dongle business. And then Afterpay, the buy now, pay later acquisition they made, the $30, million, $30 billion one. So they've been trying to combine consumer and merchant for almost a decade now, because if it's a closed system, they keep all of it. They don't have to pay Visa, MasterCard, Rails anymore. So basically on the consumer side, Jack touched on it, Cash App, beautiful. Perfect entryway, right? So a very, it started off as like a Venmo knockoff in 2013. It's like a way to pay your friends, right? You pay friends, you go out to eat, you pay uh, split bills on pizzas and stuff. And then the exact same playbook as the dongle. With the dongle added on payroll, working capital, all these new uh, uh, tools, Cash App's the same, right? Started off as a Venmo clone. And then what does it do now? Bitcoin, crypto, trading, uh, bank account, probably some light lending. So they're building all these tools on top. And uh, with the added effect that Jack mentioned is like insanely low acquisition cost, right? Because it's so culturally like relevant. You can actually track Twitter mentions of cash tags, which is like your the, the dollar sign and whatever your cash uh, app name is. Like you can track those mentions on Twitter and the growth of Cash App, right? So Cash App now is basically the consumer version of the dongle for the merchants. So mm. Square actually tried to combine these 
uh, a couple of years ago or some form of it. So Square used to offer a card where you went to consumer and you're like, hey, listen, here's a Square card, but you can only use it with, you know, our Square merchants, which makes sense. That was a closed network they tried to do. And that way they wouldn't have to pay Visa or MasterCard. But what they found out was that like, you can't restrict and tell a user what they can do, right? They're just like, fuck, like, I don't want to use this card. Like, it's inconvenient for me. Cash App helps bridge that. And what Afterpay does is genius. I don't know. I can't tell you whether or not it was the right acquisition or if they pay overpaid or underpaid. But Afterpay is what links those two universes, Cash App and Merchants. Because now, if you go to a store and you're a customer, you can use the Afterpay service for hopefully what will be a Square Merchant, Right. And then now you've linked them. It's a closed uh, ecosystem. They keep everything. They keep the full 3% instead of having to give it away. So that's where Afterpay comes in. And that's what they're working towards, which is even not even mentioning crypto. So like just from a payments universe, they're basically building their own uh, closed payment system. So it's genius. I don't know if to execute, but it is a genius plan. Yeah, that's amazing. So Trung, what do you think about, or both of you actually, um, the only kind of, I, I mean, we know that Jack Dorsey is kind of like a kind of a Bitcoin maximalist. I don't know if he's officially that, but he kind of comes across like that anyway. And it seems like he's really focused on Bitcoin versus anything else. And it seems like whatever he's going to build here is going to be based on Bitcoin, including the TBD project, right? So do you, do you guys think that is like a, one, a smart move or is that like a bit of a risk given that ethereum has had kind of a head start in building all of this innovative stuff basically the innovative stuff in in crypto has been a lot of it has been happening in ethereum right and and some of the smaller projects but if you look at the numbers for DeFi, um anything that's built in like nfts uh, anything that's beyond the store of value kind of use case most of it has been happening on ethereum so what do you guys think about that? Is that a risk for for them, or is that something that is actually quite a smart move because he can kind of own that? You know, you know, I think is the most difficult part of it is the overcoming the meme that you can't spend your Bitcoin. Mm. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Like, That's that to point. me is one of the biggest hurdles for this whole thing is that the network effect and the narrative behind. Bitcoin is so strongly supported by the idea that it's going to be worth a million times more in 10 years that like even tipping people in Bitcoin is kind of, you know, it's like, <laughs> I don't want to give away a, like 50 cents of Bitcoin today because X. It'll right? be worth $10,000. Right. And the, 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 I don't know, the same idea applies to Ethereum, right? The network is growing. The value of the token is increasing but the culture has been totally different where, you know, people are slinging millions of dollars on monkey pictures and <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Right. And there's NFTs on Bitcoin and that stuff is happening. But I think again, the growth is slower because it is not like a part of the culture that is, that is um, embraced by the majority of the network. So I think what, you know, maybe what Jack Dorsey will be able to accomplish is through like, design like the the process of interface design and like having all this experience with building twitter and cash app and i think twitter and cash app like again it there's a there was a relationship between those where they kind of fed each other in the same way that like this is like the meta application of 
I use Twitter to grow my business. I use my Twitter profile to grow my business. Jack Dorsey used his platform, Twitter, yeah. to grow Cash App as a business. Crazy. Which mm, is yeah. incredible. And like it's an it's kind of a huge thing to step away from because you have that I mean, I guess you could still use it and he's got his reputation and like he didn't leave on bad terms by any means. So perhaps it will be a huge part of the strategy, but um yeah, it feels to me like the big hurdle to overcome is like making it like culturally like just normalizing the spending of Bitcoin in real time because it's like this store of value savings asset. And that's a huge like anchor on the behavior of just getting it moving around. I think there is a solution that as you're talking that I thought about is like, and it's been talked about by Sailor too, right? When people ask Sailor's like, do you have any fiat for micro strategy? And Sailor's like, well, yeah, we'll keep enough for working capital. But if we really had to, we could just borrow against Bitcoin, right? What if there was an elegant way for Cash App to just, because they'll know, right? They'll know everything about you, presumably in the future. They can underwrite you. They're like, listen, we'll underwrite your Bitcoin holdings and you can have fiat for your day-to-day needs. That could be a huge unlock, right? Like real-time yeah. underwriting. Yeah, I yeah. agree. And I think like what will happen is for it to be adopted at the scale that Jack Dorsey has built products is you can't even use any of that language. Yeah. Right? It's just going right. to be like the one number on the screen, like budget, whatever it is, borrow, like all the intricacies of DeFi on Ethereum. It's like, yeah, there's a small portion of people that reading newsletters and listening to podcasts and super figuring confusing. that stuff Bilal, out. Bilal. Yeah, but, yeah, but cons- even for me, it's not super even confusing. close to like to user-friendly. user-friendly or like a behavior that you could figure out without going deep down the rabbit hole or like having a relationship with somebody who's been there and can walk you through it. Right. And that's the that's the polar opposite of like going on Twitter on your own and figuring out how to like fumble through it and cash app and all of those other things. So. We need to talk about Bilal's DeFi play events. There. I just want to mention that. <laughs> yeah. but, and listeners, if you don't know, Bilal it has gone so deep down the DeFi like uh, rabbit hole, sending me and Jack all these like 10 million APR. We're like, bro, come it on, is, man. get out. Well, the, the stuff, it, and just to, to clarify, yeah, I definitely have been down that rabbit hole. And the reason I can't even share a lot of it on the podcast is because people see it as an endorsement and then they go ape into something, which I'm not even sure myself. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah let's not do that. You know what yeah. I mean? And, it's, and I'm already, it's like the fun money kind of stuff that I'm playing with. And uh, I mean, it's stuff people have heard of, Olympus Dow, Squid. Yo, like, you oh, said too much, man. Yo, no, bro. Yo, bleep that out. Bleep that out. <laughs> wait, no, hold on. All of wait. those are down, by the way. So it's wait, not like... Bilal, uh, are you net yeah. up or down? Are you net up or no, down? No, no. Uh, th- I mean, on, it's bro. only been a few months. It, so yeah, some of them so are you're up. you're a billionaire. No, no, no. <laughs> on those ones in particular, which are basically the Olympus Dow and their forks, there's like three, four, which people <laughs> probably, if people listen to the podcast, probably heard of Olympus Dow. <laughs> but, um, those ones are probably like even-ish. But the problem with all that stuff, not to go down the rabbit hole right now, is one part is the price of something going up, like the asset going up, like we're used to in crypto. But the other part is the balancing out of the APR being so high. So your total amount is going up, but the value might be less per coin or whatever. So it's it's not easy to track. And I've been trying to learn how to do that. So we can never talk about it at cut, some point. Editor, <laughs> cut that whole part out. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's fine, it's fine. No, no that's so good. But, um, but go on, go on. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to answer your initial question. Uh, the great one you had about the energy of, uh, but when you asked, hey, is being wedded to Bitcoin an issue for Square and Block, right? So to answer your initial question, uh, Jack Dorsey has been asked, do you hold any other coins? And he said, no, I only hold Bitcoin. And then a journalist asked him on Twitter, I'll screenshot it. Uh, it's like, how much Bitcoin do you have? He just writes enough. Oh, that's, I've seen that. Yeah. That's incredible. Dude, yeah, so he just good. says enough Bitcoin. Oh, that's my, like SBF are, level yeah, repl- response yeah. without being a dickhead. Uh, <laughs> SBF is uh, crazily worth two times more than Dorsey. Uh, Dorsey's like That is pretty bill. crazy. Just wait five to seven years though. Because yeah, I think right? Jack Dorsey's on a, he's jumping on the faster horse right now. He's, he's, he's jumping off Twitter's horse. So we're, we're doing this. And then the question that we've discussed this in our chats was, uh, again, not the, Actually, Sailor didn't say this, but uh, uh, Raul Powell said it, the legend uh, uh, from Real Vision and just uh, legend, macro legend. He said uh, what he's seeing, and he's gone deep into ETH, right, Jack? Like, I don't know if you guys seen this. Yeah, his biggest, there. his biggest yeah. position right now is ETH. It's the biggest one he's ever had in anything he's had. The exponential yeah. age, man. He's on an yeah. absolute tear explaining he's on a tear. this. <laughs> I was yeah. just like, listening to a What Is Money episode where he starts with the British Empire. The sun uh, yeah. sets on the I, British I Empire as the well. first line. So <laughs> well, good. Dude, it's the ones, it's these explainers, right? It's the Sailor series, also with Robert Breedlove, where they, man, when you start justifying an investment by going back hundreds of years, I'm so like, good. I'm done. Tell me where to start. Even like, if bro, it's made up, it's an amazing bro, story that it works. If, if somebody, okay, tomorrow, I'm telling you right now, if tomorrow somebody launches an NFT project or there's a new shit coin that comes out and it starts with when the fall of Rome happened, I'm buying it. I don't care what the logic is behind it. If you're starting an investment thesis with the fall of Rome or like when 10,000 years ago, when man started communicating by uh, orally, I'm like, oh, hey, I'm in. Or when they're talking about a goat on the top of a mountain as well. I mean, just combine those together and you're, you're, you're sold. Okay, so... This is the meme, right? And we always talk about memes here. I love it when we can bring it back. The meme of Bitcoin, this is the problem. Jack identified one problem. The meme of Bitcoin is the store value, right? It's like, never sell it, hold, HODL, HODL. That's the meme around it, right? That is a problem to adoption. And, you know, it is meant to be a store value, but that is a problem for adoption. The other problem with Bitcoin is that it's fucking perfect. It's perfected, right? It's like, its properties are in place. It's on cruise control to 21 million. And it's and and it's 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 security and the way Jack described it, it encrypted wall of energy. It just gets stronger every day, right? Like that thing <laughs> is just set. The intellectual like debates around it, like there's not much more nuance, right? It's like Michael Sailors put a nail in the coffin, it's done. <laughs> Go listen to the Sailor series, there's nothing more to talk about. But Ethereum, <laughs> and we just talked about it, there's so much energy. People are doing new shit every day, NFTs, DeFi, fork this, fork that. Some interesting things going on. That is actually a, a part of it is a weakness, right? I, I, mm. the, the proof of stake There's more argument. risk. There's more yeah. risk based on that. But this energy, that's the meme, right? It's like Bitcoin is becoming, we've talked about boomer coin. It's just like, it's so, it's a finished product. And that takes away the incitement of it because people love novelty. And I think that is a risk. Having said that, my last point here, it goes to Jack Butcher's original uh, kind of uh, guesstimate about Block's future. If it becomes an Ethereum, you know, type of competitor or, or, or functionality, that's bringing the energy to uh, uh, Bitcoin. 
And I think now that I just listen to myself talk, which I do all the time, and just having listened to you guys, <laughs> man, that's genius though. If Jack Dorsey can bring that level of enthusiasm to Bitcoin, that's game over. Like you've won. Right? Yeah, because they've got genius. a head start overall, but with this other use case, the more interesting stuff going on, like you said, there's there's the, yeah, that's why we're saying it could be the Ethereum 2.0, no pun intended. Uh, and, and so, go on, Jack. A friend of the podcast, um, Patrick Stanley, City Coins and, and previously Stacks. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be interesting to get his take on whether, like, the Stacks protocol is built on Bitcoin, right? It's the ability to execute smart contracts. Yeah, smart contracts on Bitcoin, right? On Bitcoin. It's technically a different protocol, but you know, I'm not a I'm not an engineer, but it has a relationship to Bitcoin. And I wonder if, you know, if this is a foray into a competing product that lives like that has a relationship to Bitcoin, but uh, facilitates way more high speed like you know, marketplaces for culture on Bitcoin in the same way that we saw like Ethereum smash it out of the park this year with NFTs. Yeah, and the other thing I was going to say is, uh, just to kind of summarize what you're both saying, I think I've, my position is probably similar, is this uh, kind of narrative of digital gold, which has proliferated in the last like few years for Bitcoin, is its strength and in a way a weakness too. It kind of puts a cap on it. Right, because then if it is a digital gold store of value, like there's only a certain amount of value to be had there, right? So, but that is still probably 10x from where we are today. You know, Bitcoin's like a one trillion dollar market cap, or maybe a bit more now, and gold is 10 trillion dollars, right? Um, whereas, like people who are very pro Ethereum say, well, what's the cap? It's basically all activity on the internet, any <laughs> in, in the future, basically, and that again is a problem and a, a a pro and con um the the only thing is that i'm thinking here is though that the way that jack is playing it with bitcoin being like the sole thing he wants to focus on i don't know if by trying to create those extra layers on there it really takes away so much from that original narrative right and so like i don't know if they, they're kind of conflicting one other thing, I think uh, I read a sentence somewhere of like the mission of blocks. It maybe it's in the uh, press release or something. No, the the pinned tweet on the blocks profile says we're here to build simple tools to increase access to the economy. Mm. So that's what makes me think like you're trying to reduce the amount of friction there is to like entering markets, starting businesses, selling shit receiving cash to me that is like the first place my head goes is like pure digital economies whether that's like yeah. content nfts whatever you want to call it to me bringing all of those things together and like what he must know about the magnitude of content that's produced on something like twitter every day i mean we've gone back and forth in dms on this there are people that that like write one-liners or jokes that produce the amount of impressions and attention they earn yeah. for their effort is just astronomical. And then they're like going to work at CVS or something. It's oh my like, goodness. The imbalance, the, the arbitrage is so insane. And I think um, in music, that's also true, especially when you're starting out your career, right? You can 
make something great, but you won't get rewarded for um you won't get rewarded for it in the same way. Yeah, I'm just looking at this um this video. I haven't seen it before. It's in their pinned tweet you, if you want to check it out. Well, yeah, why are you looking at that, Jack? The last thing I was gonna say to my point before was in the grand scheme of things, we are still so early that the number of people using any of these things is so tiny, right? Like it's I don't know the exact numbers, it's like 10 million people have like a MetaMask wallet or something like that. And and no way in the future is my mum using a MetaMask wallet, right? Like that's not gonna be the the simple version of this. So <laughs> there is there is space for people like Jack Dorsey to go and build the equivalent for people that just can log on and use something and then you know the kind of hardcore people say well that's not even decentralized what's the point and i guess the point is the market would decide if they care enough about decentralization or not does the whole thing need to be decentralized or is it just the underlying value is a decentralized global system like bitcoin or whatever but there's things built on top which aren't as decentralized right and the login and the ui is used by uh, an app uh, is created by an app um, provider the same way we're used to using right now. Because like, there's there's a lot of these like big picture things of we're gonna live in this decentralized utopia, which I, like I, a part of me wants some of that, but a lot of me is like I need somewhere to go to get my to do a forgotten password <laughs> request. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like the <laughs> like, yeah, it's a great on. it's a great point. And you know, I think is like the the real distinction is like maybe the sound money argument, like where people are so like hell bent on Bitcoin becoming the like reserve asset, whatever that means, like it swallows up a good portion of wealth, right? Like wealth is, yeah. is, is stored in Bitcoin. And I think all of these like superfluous things can exist on top of that. But if we're, we've reached consensus on the money supply, then that changes everything on the layers above. It doesn't yeah. mean everything has to operate on the same like decentralized principles as Bitcoin, mm -hmm. even if they denominate their goods and services in Bitcoin, but they function the exact same way as they do today. The like the reserve status of Bitcoin changes behavior in in lots of ways. Well, uh, that that's I mean you brought up a great point is. As long as the original rules of Bitcoin are like, you know, the 21 million, that, that keeps going along, everybody can live on those rules, right? Or as Michael Saylor says, it'd be like gravity. If you want to change Bitcoin, it'd be like changing gravity. You don't want to do that. You can do other <laughs> stuff building in the real world though, right? Like you can, you can like an uh, uh, engineer can build a bridge to interact with gravity in certain ways, right? Like a suspension bridge versus a concrete bridge that's just built from the bottom. But uh, as long as that is the, the, the foundation it's just hard as a rock, hard as a rock. Just, that's what uh, Sailor's saying here, guys. Well, here's, here's, like, here's a outrageous statement. The, so Ethereum is basically an ideological fork of Bitcoin, right? It's like to compare the two, it can't, I don't know, what was it, five years between the two coming apart? And I think Vitalik nods to bitcoin as like the right. first cryptocurrency the block the concept yeah of a he blockchain. started by reading the white paper and being like this is amazing how can i build on top of it yeah and it's like it's a later version obviously it's called something different and people interact with it differently but the you know from the first principle explanation bitcoin does the really difficult job in a very simple way and don't yeah. mess with that um 
and you know maybe even eventually ethereum is denominated in bitcoin potentially right there's like this really odd when you're describing something as a product and a protocol and a store yeah. of value and it's so many different models that you're trying to get your head around at the same time but i i really don't buy any of the arguments of like we will settle on this one thing and that will be the um that will be the thing that 100%. everybody uses uh, one chain i should say but there I is think it's going to be multi-chain as well like 100 yeah, yeah like people can spin it up in 15 minutes so why would anyone ever stop right there's yeah. there's going to be experiments but Bitcoin seems like it's entrenched as the most sort of anti-fragile store of value. And then all of these things can exist in uh, addition to. I don't think the, the the future where only Bitcoin exists or the future to get there yeah. is going to be a pretty gnarly turn, like <laughs> series of events, right? Yeah, I think no. if that's really the case that we've only got Bitcoin left, there's bigger problems to, to worry about. because Including my NFT be- portfolio going to zero, which... <laughs> would be devastating that's true that's true all right boys we're gonna have to wrap up soon so just to put a pin in that we can just mention the adidas thing was there anything else before we wrap that last part up we're probably i mean jack we can can do adidas next week um let me just share my screen quickly for the last uh all right for a teaser for next week wait jack were you uh were you working with them on this no, this is this is a permissionless experiment. I might, permissionless I might, experiment. I love that. I might mint this and see if we can get Adidas to buy it. Oh that would be goodness, incredible. Dude. I sent it to my friend Adidas, who does all their social stuff, by the way. Oh, uh, sick! So, so I think they, uh, I mean, they responded as well, right? I know I got it in front of uh, someone who works there. I don't know who would be responsible for making a decision. But one, sorry, I know we got to finish this. But one interesting yeah. thing, I think, putting this up for auction is like you either the web two response to this would be cease and desist take it down you're using our trademark and then yeah. the like we're, we we want to play by the rules of this new culture would be we're going to bid on it and we're going to own it we'll see Dude, how it that goes. would be incredible go. though i oh do also think God. it would kind of set a precedent as well right because they would be other people would try to do it but i agree that is the web three it's the remix ip remixing and like if they're literally working so just i i do have a couple minutes before uh just to give people the full preview i'm just going to share my screen as well um uh where is so adidas here? did a collabo with board Ape. exactly this- yeah so can you guys see this this is adidas originals and they've done uh, we kind of had heard about this a few weeks ago or a month ago uh but they've got a whole kind of landing page now adidas.com forward slash metaverse and oh no but they here you go so they're doing something board ape yacht club punks comic g money um so either way it's it's a pretty i mean this is adidas this is one of the top two three sports brands in the world apparel brands whatever you want to call them and uh, the only thing i was going to say on like my experience with adidas is their whole ethos i remember meeting them in my old job we were actually working on something for like over a year and a half together and their whole thing is like open source design so they'll go and do these collabs with pharrell um you know obviously sports people but they will really get them involved they obviously did the stuff with kanye and just like having spoken to a few of the different brands it does feel like they're authentically closer to that um you know that tie in a remix culture and like doing little experiments and putting it out there than probably the other brands and uh, i'll just read out one tweet someone had shared 
which was Nike chose Roblox on Web 2, Adidas chose Board Ape Yacht Club and Punk's comic on Web 3. <laughs> and um, again, yeah, who knows? I mean, no, you know, we're fans of Roblox too, um, but just it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. There's already been a peop- few people commenting saying, like, is this, like, first of all, is this real? Uh, secondly, does this make sense for Adidas? Does it, and interestingly, does it make sense for Board Ape as well? Mm. Because, you know, they are, you know that's another thing to consider so yeah maybe we'll put a, a pin in it for this week and because i know we we could probably do a whole episode on this on decentralized yeah. and branding. i think we could do like tie the virgil the virgil uh exactly. DAO white paper in with that that would be a great oh perfect uh, yeah let's do conversation. that um and this episode has got to be de- dedicated to virgil yeah Pablo. well no we'll do what we'll do a, we'll next do one a, yeah we'll do next one for all right so listeners we'll do virgil next episode and uh too bad that we missed out on our full Twitter uh, Jack Dorsey appreciation. I was just going to talk about his day-to-day life, uh, but we can do that. And, uh, so, guys, subscribe, share with your friends, because I'm going to do yeah. a 30-minute love fest on his day-to-day. This dude, his diet is like drinking lemon water. He sits in. He, he works next to an infrared like screen, like uh, blasting on his face. Incredible. Meditates two hours a day. We're going to do that whole thing. It's we'll do be that. Last. We can even do that as a little special to add in. Yeah, just like a um, Jack Dorsey. That. Actually, that's a great idea, man. Maybe uh, if I can do that in the next 24 hours, it'd be hilarious. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's do you that. You should, yeah. Yeah, all right. Jack Dorsey we'll love try fest. Out. Um, all right, boy, that was a great discussion, man. Really enjoyed yeah, that. Loved I think it. that was loved a good was d- discussion. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that as well. And um, just a heads up, one other thing I'll say, as we're coming into the new year, um, you've heard us discuss on the last few episodes, the turnaround time, that was, we, we've been working on this, right? Like we want to get this out as quickly as possible. The last few weeks have been a little longer because of Thanksgiving, we were away and that sort of stuff. So we had to schedule it in. Um, not to throw anyone under the bus, but there are some other prominent podcasts who just didn't give you an episode, but you know, we tried our best. And <laughs> for going into a new year, that is something we will be definitely trying to get going in within like a few days, Max, we'll get that going. We'll experiment maybe with lives and stuff as well. Uh, so just to let you know, we do hear, I've got a few messages from people as well. And uh, that is something that's high priority for us. And uh, yeah, apart from that, uh, make sure you like, subscribe to the video, comment, let us know what you think of this. And uh, we'll see you next week. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Nice one. That was great. All right. Listen, guys, I'm so dedicated to the cause here, the NIA cause. I had to pull up in my whip, right? I'm on the way to some happy hour. I don't want to wake my kid up on the way home. So I'm recording this Jack Dorsey appreciation, five minutes of Jack Dorsey appreciation because we couldn't do it on the recording with Bilal and Jack. All right. So Monday, Jack resigned from Twitter. Uh, that was last Monday. And uh, a couple days later, he announced that Square was turning into Block. I'm just going to talk about some stuff that Jack's done. That's kind of awesome. Not to say that there aren't things to criticize, but we can do that later or another time. We kind of touched on some of his failings as a Twitter CEO. The stock price is basically unmoved since he became CEO, co-CEO in 2015. Let's talk about some good Jack stuff. All right. Number one, when Square went public, it was a $3 billion company. It was around 2015, I think. We'll look at the numbers. I don't have charts in front of me, guys. I'm in my fucking car, okay? So Square went public at $3 billion-ish. Now it's a 90 billion plus company. 
So public market value, if you're a public market investor and you got in, you were up for the ride and this thing's headed to 500 billion, probably more. So this dude came out of here, started a second company while he was the co-founder of Twitter and just was handing people out cash if you invested in him and believed in his vision. All right, that's number one. That square was a killer public market investment. So this jack appreciation point number one. Point number two, this dude... Runs his entire life from his iPhone. It's incredible. So he tweeted out a couple of years ago, Product Hunt, uh, the website and platform that people launch products on, basically asked him, he's like, eh, at Jack, how did, what's on your home screen? And he kind of showed it, and then he just said, yeah, I run everything from my notes app in Apple, uh, my iPhone. So literally just runs the whole thing in, on his iPhone. Uh, I, I posted this a couple months ago, and people were like, oh, you know, you have to be privileged to be able to do that. I'm like, yeah, dude, he, he's kind of earned the stripes to be able to run his entire life from his iPhone. But it's kind of baller. It's all in the Notes app. Here's a screenshot. You can check it out. Uh, what's funny is uh, the screenshot from, I think, 2018. And if you look at the Notes app here, it looks like 80% of the notes are for Twitter. So people are criticizing him, saying that Twitter, he wasn't doing anything. And, you know, I've heard quite a bit, actually, where he was a pretty checked out CEO. But having said that, look at the notes app here. A lot of Twitter notes, a lot of Twitter notes, only one square note. But that was a long time ago. Obviously, he's much more in a blockchain now. And which is point number three, Jack Appreciation. This guy loves Bitcoin. All right. We talked about it in the episode and we'll mention it here. Bitcoin is the only thing in his bio. But my favorite part about the Bitcoin story is when a couple of years ago, a reporter asked, hey, do you own any of the coins? He said, no. And then she asked, how much Bitcoin do you have? And he just said, enough. Baller answer. And actually, uh, the, the real favorite part here is because I think we mentioned the Bitcoin, uh, I have enough Bitcoin tweet, was when the first or second stimulus check came out, whichever one was a $600 stimulus check. Dorsey had just this killer tweet. It just goes right here. It's like, $600 in fiat? It's like useless. What am I doing $600 in fiat? Well, obviously, everybody put into Dogecoin. But the whole point being, killer tweet, hysterical. All right. Other Jack appreciation stuff. Uh, and this is a dual, uh, this double-edged sword because he's a very mindful guy. Uh, he was criticized for going to Myanmar uh, during a genocide, uh, which did happen uh, on like a 10-day meditation retreat. Probably not the best look, but uh, he does uh, practice mindfulness. He tries to meditate two hours a day. You know, people criticize him. He's like, uh, he talks about, oh, yeah, you know, I get eight hours of sleep. I try to meditate two hours a day. But, you know, Jeff Bezos brought up this point too a couple of years ago. Jeff Bezos is like, at this level, when you're at this executive level, like your job is to make difficult decisions. Your job is to make impactful decisions, maybe one or two a day, maybe one or two a week, right? It'll set the course for the, for in, in Jeff Bezos' case, a trillion dollar company. Dorsey was doing a $30 billion company of Square. Uh, again, I'm not sorry, Twitter, unchanged basically since he became CEO. But, you know, like uh, you you make tough decisions and you make difficult decisions and then you, you trust your team to execute. So Dorsey's kind of approach was like, yeah, you know what? I'm not these. I'm not the type of guy. And he actually was talking about it. I think in reference to Elon Musk, who just obviously goes balls to the wall. But Dorsey's like, yeah, I, you know, meditate two hours a day. I prioritize my sleep and I make difficult decisions. The dude walks like to was walking to his office like 90 minutes a day. People also criticize that. But dude, walking is where the magic happens. I can do a whole episode about how people just ideate and think and walk. In Japan, it's called force bathing. Something about being in nature. 
just activate stuff in your brain. I don't know if it's scientific. It doesn't matter. It's on Wikipedia. Okay, so there's that. Uh, the other thing is kind of tied into Jack's meditation. His diet. Dude, it's all about that diet game, all about health optimization. So again, on the screenshot of uh, of his uh, iPhone home screen that he showed to Product Hunt, he had just uh, a folder with just health apps. Uh, I think for breakfast, the dude drinks like uh, water, salt, and lemon. I can get down with that. I like that jam, dude. Um, it does a whole uh, fasting thing. Again, just to crystallize your thinking. So these are some things about Jack that some people don't like. I personally, you know, find it interesting. And, uh, and again, this is the Jack 5 Minutes of Appreciation. I know we're almost at 6 minutes here. But let me see if I can knock one more thing out there for you guys. Oh, alright. This dude. So last April donated 6, or no, sorry. He donated a billion dollars of square equity, which at the time was 28% of his net worth, to charity. And that charity was for COVID relief uh, and... Well, it was his own charity, so it wasn't a charity, quote unquote. It was a nonprofit organization. The money went to COVID relief and I think, believe, female empowerment for business, things that he believes in greatly. So, because that was Square Equity, that billion dollars is now about three to four billion dollars. They've distributed 400 million. And I actually tweeted about this a couple months ago. There's a little bit of criticism where somebody's like, hey, how come you've only distributed like 400 million out of four billion, especially if it's COVID relief? Uh, and Jack Dorsey actually replied to the uh, the thread that I started. He said that the hardest fart, the hardest fart, Jesus Christmas. This is what happens when you're recording in a car. Anyways, Dorsey replied, the hardest part has been finding organizations with small staffs and, and working to move uh, faster now is what he, he tweeted. Presumably now that he's dropped one of his two CEO jobs, he'll move even faster. I guess we'll find out next year. And then, uh, yeah. Oh, one last thing, uh, Jack Appreciation Minutes is a uh, big fan of the beard. I'll be honest with you. I used to have a ponytail uh, way back in college. It's tough to ma maintain when you got the hair growing, man. Like people are criticizing you. The things get sloppy when you sleep. So I'm really, you know, I got I got to shout him out for the, the amount of effort he's putting into that beard. Mad respect. Although there's this funny tweet here from his mom. Uh, she legitimately actually tweeted this. It's uh, something to the effect of, uh, I'm not a fan of the beard. Um, wait, what did she say? Oh, yeah, FYI, not a fan of the beard. Uh, Jack has a great face. I'd love to see it. That's his mom. So there's that. Jack Appreciation Hour, or I guess seven minutes. Um, if you guys enjoyed that, um, I probably won't do it again because recording in this car is kind of weird. There's literally people walking on the sidewalk wondering what this dude is doing with a NASA headset on. But whatever. I'm doing it for NIA. You know, I'm doing it for you guys. Thank you. Thank you.